Welcome to Evangelistic Center Church. Uh, I, what I'm getting ready to do, I don't do much very often. As a matter of fact, I don't remember the last time I did what I'm getting ready to do. And it won't probably mean a lot to you, but it's kind of a big deal in my, in my mind. But um, I was telling Rusty as we were driving to church, I, I said, you know, I just can't seem to never felt like the message that I wrote. I never felt like that was really like, it was like somehow I was missing something and, and I couldn't put my finger on it. And I told her, I said, I don't, uh, I don't know if it, however many of you ever had to do something like this, preach or teach a Sunday school class, but I genuinely just sort of felt like, I, I don't know. Something just feels strange. I can't put my finger on it. And, uh, and I said, I don't, I'm almost thinking I just need to preach something else completely out of my heart. And so I'm actually going to start with something that is not, I have no notes for, I, I didn't plan it out, I'm just going to talk to you for a moment. So if you're new here, uh, usually I follow a, a, a much more organized method of delivering sermons, so bear with me this morning. And I'm not sure where I'm going to go today, I really don't, and I'm not trying to be over-spiritual, I'm just, y'all know me, I'm very honest before you, I don't have a lot of secrets, so, but just something about today, I, I couldn't put my finger on it. And uh, I think maybe even in the worship, just as I was praying, you know, I, it just something felt different. I, I, I can't explain it. Any of y'all felt anything? Maybe the Spirit doing something? I don't know. And so I, I actually feel really nervous, and I'm not nervous to preach ever, but I do today. Um, I, I was, I, I want to talk to start off, and this is just in my head, and again, I, I'm just falling on your mercies today if I blow this up, but... Uh, I, I was thinking, I just kept thinking about Adam and Eve. And, well, Adam and Eve, I mean, you say you're thinking about Adam and Eve, you don't usually get a lot of high fives and amens and shout when you talk about Adam and Eve. Uh, <laughs> Y'all heard me talk about the church I grew up in, and we used to have Jericho marches around the church, and y'all ever do those? We, we changed the name of those. They're not Jericho marches. We just called them runaways. And... So don't, I mean, don't do this because you heard me say that, but it would just be, preacher would just be preaching along and sister so-and-so all of a sudden, you'd hear her in the back, she'd just take out, she'd have a runaway. And uh, I, I want to tell you, if you're a young person, if nobody went with her fast enough, she's getting a young person to go with them. I mean, she's grabbing you and you're going. And, uh, and then you're hoping your friends don't see, but that's kind of what it was. But I, I, I was thinking about Adam and Eve, and when God put them in the garden, uh, he created Adam and Eve to fellowship with him. And in the very beginning, when all of this started, God communed and fellowshiped face-to-face with Adam and Eve. And I can't comprehend what it would be like for me to face-to-face to see God and to commune with him uh, and to interact with him and to talk to him and what that would feel like. That's something bigger than my mind could, could grasp. Doesn't that seem like that to you? I mean... You know, I've been places, uh, I was talking to, where's Christopher? I can never find Chris. So you're going to have to just start wearing a light on your head. But uh, Chris was talking about him and his family went on a vacation, and they went and toured the, uh, the Las Vegas Raiders football stadium. And he's a Raiders fan, but we're trying to pray that out of him. But he's a Raiders fan, and, and he was taking pictures, and he was just telling me how great it was. So he's like, man, I can't believe that I'm here. And when I think about I think about like what heaven's going to be like. The best way I can get my mind around it is thinking that way. Like you, you've been someplace that you never thought you would be, and like I can't believe that I'm here. 
You know, one time, even with my father, we went to uh, an OSU football game. Yes, I'm an Oklahoma State graduate, so I don't root for the Longhorns or the Sooners, so I couldn't lose yesterday. <laughs> my team loses next week. <laughs> I took my dad to the football game one time, and he hadn't been in a long time. We got up and sat down. We had really good seats, and my dad, deadpan, not making a joke. He was just as serious as he could be. He said, man, no, it's like we're really there. And I said, Dad, we are really there. I was thinking about Adam and Eve, and they were really there. You know, they were really there. And then because, because God wanted true worship and true fellowship. Now, how many of you know that you can't force someone to love you, right? You could take somebody hostage and you could get them to say they love you, but you can't force love on anybody. You cannot. And God didn't force Adam and Eve to love him either. He placed within them a free will that allowed them to choose to worship God or to not. And the day came that when Eve was tempted by the devil, and they called him the serpent in the King James, and she's tempted by the devil. And you know the story, and Eve ate of the tree of the, the, the knowledge of good and evil. Everybody calls it an apple. I don't, it probably wasn't, but that works. She eats the apple. She takes it back to Adam. He reckons it looks pretty good to eat too, so he takes a bite. And then all of a sudden, this interaction between God and man, this, this fellowship that is, that is unmolested, that is unbroken, that has never been rusted or decayed, that is pure and holy and right, that very moment, that relationship was severed. And in that very moment, something began to happen in Adam and Eve. And in that moment, they became very aware of what sin was. And even though the law had not yet come, so there weren't a lot of things that they could understand about how you and I would define sin, but in that moment when that relationship was severed, the first thing that they realized was, if you remember, if you, if you went to children's church or Sunday school, they realized they were naked, right? And they began to find a way to cover themselves. And when God comes in, and, and the Bible says that He's walking in the garden, and He's looking for Adam and Eve, and then He finds them, and they've been hiding. And He says, well, why are you hiding? And they said, well... Well, we're naked. And what was God's response? He said, well, who told you that? Who said? As if God didn't know. And it was in that moment that the relationship that God intended to have with His children was severed. And that communion and that fellowship would never be the same. And, and when you look throughout the Old Testament, you see how that sin increased. And then Cain killed his brother Abel. And animals began to fight and to kill one another. And sin entered into the human experience. And because Adam and Eve fell in the garden, this, this unique relationship between God and man no longer was what God ever intended it to be. And death and sin and strife and hatred. And, and the King James talks about variances and, and lusts and anger and greed. And all of this entered into the human experience and this connection between God and man was severed forever. And then God chooses Israel and He makes a way so that, that He creates a priesthood that God would commune with the priest and then the priest in turn would commune with the people. But that plan was flawed. That plan was flawed in that the blood of bulls and goats, the Bible says that that could never redeem mankind from sin. It could never once and for all take away sin. It was merely just a pacifier to pacify the requirements of sin because sin requires something on behalf of the sinner. Sin requires blood. And you say, well, why does God work that way? 
I don't know. That's how He said He works. And when He says that's what it requires, that's what it requires. And you learn of that this way. That in the New Testament it says in Romans that the wages of sin is what? It's death. And the day that Adam and Eve sinned, the Bible says that He told them that the day that you eat of this tree, what will happen? You'll die. And we know that Adam and Eve didn't die immediately. They didn't die in that day. They lived a, another seven or eight hundred years. But death began to reign in man. And then somewhere around 20, 15, 8, 15 B.C., 20 B.C., somewhere in that neighborhood. I know actually it wasn't quite that early. It was about 5 B.C., excuse me. About 5 B.C., a little baby was born in a town called Bethlehem. And that little baby was born and people saw the star and, and the people that were watching and the, the, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel that was looking for a Messiah, those that were genuinely seeking, they saw something happen and they came from all over the place to this, to this area where this little baby was born. And this baby, when this baby was born, what? People that knew him began to understand as he grew up was there was something different about him. And ultimately what happened in the person of Jesus is that this gap that had existed between God and man for thousands of years, this separation between the created mankind and the Creator God, that separation had been widened and we no longer could come before Him in worship and communion and fellowship. We couldn't do it anymore. And Christ came. And when Christ came, what He did was He lived in a manner that no one else before Him or since was ever able to do. And Christ fulfilled every requirement that the law could ever impose on a human being. And all that had happened to separate God from man was wrapped up in this man named Jesus. And He walked holy before God. And He walked out God's plan perfectly. And there was a time on a hill just outside of the city on a place that we call the skull that the Roman soldiers raised this once for all sacrifice. And when He was raised on that tree and He had stretched out His hands and He proclaims to the Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And in that moment, the gap that existed between me and my heavenly Father, the gulf, the gulf that was so wide that no man could cross it was suddenly bridged. And now there was a way. There had been a road made from, for, for which you and I could now cross over and commune and fellowship with a holy God the likes no one had ever seen since Adam and Eve walked the earth. And then today what we have inherited because the Bible says that I am joint heirs with what you and I have now inherited in, in God is because of that sacrifice, this gulf of separation that divided man and a holy God that no longer exists because when once in the Old Testament we had to have somebody be the mediator, our mediator now is Jesus. And even as I stand before you today at the right hand of the Father, Jesus Himself is looking from His throne on high and He's looking down on churches like Evangelistic Center and Life Church and the First Baptist Church and the Methodist Church and the Assembly of God and churches in China and in Africa and in North Korea and Christ is looking down on His people 
And now there is a relationship there that has been restored that we never had before. And when we gather together in worship in church, what now happens is we commune our spirit in the very presence of God because Christ came and restored that relationship. Amen? And so when we are tempted to worry and to stress and to be frustrated and to fear. And we're all tempted in that way, all of us. But when we find ourselves in, in circumstances that are beyond what we can understand or control, it is so easy to begin to look inwardly and to begin to look at circumstance and to begin to look at everything that we can see and to try to find a way out and to try to find some solution for how do we get over this mountain today? I know, I've, I've been there so many times. And you, it feels really lonely. And there were times when, when my family went through our trial. My dad always says every family has a trial. I think there's some truth, there's some truth in that. And our particular one, I can remember on Sunday mornings, my family was gone to church and I, I couldn't go. And I can remember, I would sit down at the piano and I would just start to play. And sometimes I would have Rusty tell me what the song list was at church because I was supposed to be there playing and somebody, I think Samantha actually filled in for me, I don't remember. And I would sit down at that piano and I would just start to play. And I'm not going to sing for you. It's not good that I sing for you. By the way, I completely forgot to mention this. I, I was so blessed today. Dwight and Kay have made their back, way back home today. I meant to mention that earlier. And I thought of it because I was fixing to, I was fixing to throw Dwight down, down the river. That's why I remember that. I mean, I've stood in front of Dwight, and he and I sing a lot alike. I've sat on the same row with my father, and we all sing, you know, kind of alike. Some of the rest of you, I stand by you too, and you sing a little bit like me. But I can remember sitting at that piano and I would start to play those songs and then I would just start to sing them because I couldn't go. And I was so hurt and lost and angry at times. And I sat there at the piano and I started to play. And I would, I would play songs that I could kind of try to sing. And I, and I, would, I would sing, How great is our God. Sing with me, how great is our God. And all will see how great, how great is our God. And I would play it again and I would sing it. And tears would come and I, I would say, God, I don't understand. And why is this happening? And where are you? And then I would, I would change keys, and I would go, I'd go to the key of F. F was my favorite key to play in. I'd go to F, and I would start up there on, there, on an A, A, B flat, C, and it would sound like, on a hill far away, stood an old rugged cross, the end of suffering and shame 
and love that old cross where the deer rust and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. And, and God would begin to stir something in my heart. And then I'd switch over. I told the Wednesday night group. And again, I qualify this, guys. I know I'm probably just rambling today, but I, I hope maybe stirring something in your heart. I would, I would change over, and then I would, in the first song I ever learned how to play as a church pianist was Amazing Grace. You can't be a church piano player if you can't play Amazing Grace. Kind of like you can't be a pastor unless you've got a really thick Bible. <laughs> Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost but now I'm found was blind but now I see and I would remember well, there was a cross and there was grace and there was a good God and I would, I would play and I would cry and then I would I would get up and I would pray some more. And this happened Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And the journey was not easy. And, and, and I, I would wonder where God was and what is happening. And I've, I've talked to you. And I've heard your story sound exactly the same. And I'm not going to tell anybody's story because it's not my place to tell your story, especially if I hadn't asked. But I, Chris and I, I spent a lot of time with Christopher. And he and I have sat in my office and we've talked about, I tease him a lot because he's so much younger than I am. And, and uh, I know he calls me old behind my back. I know he does because he calls me old in my face. Yeah, see, I knew. Chris sat in my office and he, he sat across from me. And, Pastor, I'm just having a hard time today. Just struggling today. Remember that day, Chris? Just having a hard time today. I don't know what my family's going to do. And, and just, I don't know what to do. And Chris, just one day, we're just going to trust him one day at a time, one day. A few months go by, and Chris comes in my office one day. We hadn't talked about it in months, and he's sitting there. I mean, he looked just like he got away with something. And he said, Pastor, I cannot tell you how good God's been. Now he's delivered us. I remember the times that God delivered, and I, I know what it's like to be fearful. And I know uh, I had somebody a few months ago, they accused me of living in fear. And I, I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that I never fall into that because I'm just a guy like you. But I, I fall into that trap. But you know what? I, the more that I study, you know, five years of being a pastor, one thing I've been blessed to be able to do is to study more than ever before. And I read things and I study, and there seems to be a common denominator in everything that I read. You know, last week I preached to you out of Judges chapter 6 about Gideon. And the Bible says there in Judges 6, when God talks to Gideon, he says to go in your own strength. And, and I told you what I felt like that meant. 
But the strength that God was proclaiming to Gideon was the strength that comes only from God's hand. And I began to learn that I felt like that God would, in those moments, he would tell me, Noah, go in the strength that you have. I, I misquoted that, not your own strength. Go in the strength that you have. And the strength that I have and my, myself is nothing, but the strength that I have been given comes directly from the very throne of God. And so what I, I have been learning, and as I was writing this sermon and trying to figure out how to convey to you what God had been doing in my life and what I believe I see God doing in the church is that all of the noise and all of the craziness and all of the nonsense that tries to rise up against God's people and separates us from each other and from the Word and, and tries to separate us from God Himself, all of this noise, and we can find ourselves with heads down, with broken hearts, dragging along this, this weight that God never intended for us to have because when we were separated from Him, God sent the bridge, God sent the priest, God sent the prophet, the priest, and the king in, name, in Jesus. And when he came, it was never so that you and I would ever walk around without hope. It was never so that you and I would forget that God has placed within us his Holy Spirit that testifies to us that God is everything that he's ever claimed to be. This week, and, and this, is not a, this is not a political statement. If you think it is, please listen to the whole thing I'm getting ready to say. But this week, that we, I have several friends that, uh, that work at, at the same place, and, and I got calls and notifications from a couple of them, and, and they, were going to be required to, uh, they were going to be required to take the vaccine in order to keep working. This is not a speech for or against the vaccine. But rather, they, and they and by their own choice, they didn't want to take the vaccine. And, and, Pastor, I don't know what we're going to do because I'm not doing that, and, and I, I've got to take care of my family. And that's real. You know, that's a real trial. Another brother, uh, I was visiting with him just very briefly through text message, and he shared with me that, you know, Pastor, they're, they're telling me i got to start working every Sunday. What do I do? What am I going to do? And, and I, I, I feel that tension and that pressure. And I, I feel that. And there are people that, Pastor, I got this report from the doctor, and, and I don't know what that means, and, and I need some prayer. This morning, I don't know if they're watching, if you are, Sherry, Scott, we're still praying for you, but Scott Robbins is going through the trial of his life. Um, you, can't, you can't have more trouble than Scott's in today, right now. And I hear those stories, and, and as a pastor, I wish I could make them all go away, and I was trying to, to preach to you this week. I have a, a whole series of notes, and I was wanting, Chris, I was wanting to tell you how to have hope in the middle of the struggle. Rachel, I, I wanted to tell you and your family how to have hope. As I know your family mourns your mother. How, how, what do we have? I, I look around the room at so many of you. I, I hope this is okay, but I'm looking at Pete and Chris, and it wasn't just a couple months ago that life felt really hopeless at times. I know it did. I talked to them, and I felt it with them. And Pete called me yesterday, and he said, guess what? I'm going back. I'm back to work. I had uh, another church member. They, they had gotten a really bad report from the doctor, and doctor had put an expiration date on their life. And I talked to him last week, and, well, it turns out the doctor's expiration date, I don't think it's been right the whole time. Maybe God had a different plan for that expiration date. And see, so what, 
what I wanted to convey to you is in the garden when, when we fellowshiped face to face with our Creator and life was how God had intended it, that, that we commune with Him and that we walk with Him and that our spirit was in lockstep with His and everything that He was, we could understand and we, we worshiped and had a relationship that you and I could only dream about. And then we get to 2021 America and there's so many things that has that begins to divide families and divide churches and it's divided a nation, it's divided a world. And if we're not careful, all of this seems so very hopeless. And, and all that people ever talk about, it is something to do with uh, some issues with uh, coronavirus or a pandemic or some issue of uh, race relations or some issue of um, women's rights or it's some issue of economy or voting. or I mean, everywhere we turn, there's all of these things and as the church, if we're not careful, we get bogged down in it. And what we forget is that that separation that the world still hasn't understood, that separation has been removed from you and I. And that separation is no longer there because God made a way. And I, and I was telling you that song. I sing it in the key of F. That on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross. And when they dropped that cross in the ground and Christ was nailed to it, in that moment when He died, that separation was paid for. And today... Today, you and I, we do not walk in the vanity of our mind. The Bible says, that don't walk like you used to walk. Don't act like you used to act. He uses the word Gentiles, so that's you and I. He says, you don't do that anymore. Don't be as the Gentiles and walk in the vanity of your mind. And here's the reason why. Because we have a hope as the anchor of our soul. And the Bible talks about that within that veil in that holy place, that that's where God is. That's where Christ dwells is in the holy place. And I want you to know, church, that our anchor holds in that holy place. And so today, today, right now, at 1132, on October the whatever, 11th, in a little church between Shawnee and Tecumseh, for a people that knows who they are and knows in whom it is that they believed, as Paul wrote to Timothy, for people like us, we don't have to walk around in the fear and in the dread and in the, the tension and in the upsetness that the world does because we have a hope that no one else understands. It's a real hope. And here's the part of my notes that I want to use. And so for you young people, just so that you can feel the stress that I felt as a young person, I'm just right now going to start my notes. <laughs> I'm not going to go through it, but I want to read you something just real quick out of my notes. And again, if you're new today, I don't really do this this way very often. But I had in my heart something to share with you. In the book of 1 Peter chapter 1, I want you to... 1 Peter 1 verse 3 and 4, I just want to read you something just really quick. 1 Peter 1, verse 3 and 4. I know, Lindsay, I've dug your way down in my slides, but I'll give you a second to find those. I'm just going to read the first two verses there, verse 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of His great mercy, He has given us. And this is the part that I want you to see. Because of His mercy, He has given us new birth into a what kind of hope? A living hope. Let's try that again. What kind of hope is it that you and I enjoy today? What kind of hope is it? It's a living hope. It's a living hope. In other words, this hope is not dead. And how do we have that hope? We have that hope because Christ was raised from the dead. And so 
This hope that you and I are talking about, I, I looked up that I looked up that word. Y'all know how I like to look up words, and and really you could you could write that verse this way. If we, you know, if I was going to write a Noah translation, you could read this this way that He has caused us to be born again to a living confidence. I like that. Caused us to be born again to a living confidence through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So here's here's the hope, church, for you today. You can have confidence that God will never, ever leave you. And you can have confidence that no matter what you find yourself neck deep in, that God will not leave you. You can have confidence and a hope and joy and peace that even if or when something comes into your life that you have no idea in your strength how you'll ever be able to go through it, today you can have confidence and hope and trust and faith and whatever word you want to use so that it gets down in your soul and you don't turn it loose. You can know that Christ is alive and it is because of this hope alone in Christ that we are sustained and that we will not fear and that we will not doubt and that we will march on one step at a time because of what? He's done in our life. And that's what we do. So, so let, me, let, me try to, let me try to summarize it. Let me try to summarize it. Uh, I'm just going through a lot of thoughts in my head. Let me try to summarize it this way. Well, I talk a lot about, I talk a lot about my set, my, my family. Uh, and I always tell people, I know you probably hear me, Talk about the same stories all the time, but they're my stories. So I, you know, I don't usually tell your stories. I like to tell them my stories. But I, I look back, and a story that I've told you before, but I'm going to say it again because there are a few people here that probably haven't heard it, uh, which I'm laughing in my mind even as I'm doing this because Rusty's dad, he had like seven stories, and in 22 years I could tell all seven of those stories. But we called him Papa. At church he was Pastor Papa. Um, but, but Papa, there'd be some new face in the crowd, so he thought then since there was a new face, they needed to hear all seven stories every week. And so I'm looking around, there's a couple new faces, so I'm going to start telling you all of my stories. So you home folks, just take your shoes off, we're going to be here for a while. But just super quick, I promise, I promise I'll make this fast. In 2000, I believe it was in 2006, I'd have to ask my dad for sure, but I think it was 2006. I was working as a contractor, uh, at the FAA, and again, I'm going to tell this super fast. And I had made it to, I was like the assistant manager, and I was in charge of quality control. And if, if any of you guys have ever been in a corporate environment, you probably remember things like ISO 9000 or Q1 or you know, programs like that. The government really liked those kinds of, uh, Calvin worked at GM. Did you do something like that, Calvin? Yes, yes, I knew GM would have done that. And there's these quality programs, and kind of the mantra was, um, say what you do, Write it down and do what you say. That was sort of the that was sort of the thing, and so I had made it up. I was assistant manager and, and starting to you know make a nice living for myself. And we had all these different projects. And then a, a boss out of Colorado he calls me and he wants to take me to lunch. And that had never happened before. So you know in my mind I'm thinking, you know, I, I think they're probably going to ask me to be vice president of the company. Uh, uh, a Fortune 500 company worth billions of dollars. So you know in your mind I'm like, oh well, somebody somewhere saw me and I'm going to be you know, vice president of the company. I'll be like Joseph in Egypt. I'll be the number two man in charge of everything. I have this meeting with him, and he tells me, we're getting ready to bid our two contracts. 
and we've only got X number of management slots on the contracts because we have to, we have to lower our bids so that we can try to win the contracts. And so there's not room for, for you. We're just going to bid the manager on both contracts and you won't be. So your job is being terminated. And it wasn't anything to do with performance. It was just merely a dollars and cents kind of decision. That didn't make it easier to swallow, though, right? And so, super long story short, I wound up, before I just waited till the very end and for, for me to lose the job, I, I wound up going to work for my dad full time. And, and the dad does heat and air work. And, and uh, dad, he, would, he really wanted me to take the family business, and I understand it, but you can only crawl around in attics and pink insulation so many times and under houses and... I'll just say this, stuff that you don't want to crawl through under houses. And I got some good stories about snakes under houses, too. I'll tell you after church if you want to know. But, you know, there was a time in there, and I'm thinking, you know what? I did not go to school, make all those C's for this. <laughs> I mean, I didn't. That's not why I did that. Yeah, praise the Amen. Whoever, yeah, C's equal degrees. I am the poster child of that. I didn't want to be there. It wasn't because I didn't love my dad. It just wasn't, it just wasn't my thing. You understand where I'm coming from, right? And then my dad, and I, and I was mad. I was bitter that I lost my job. There were people there that I even asked him to put me back as just a worker. I could stay. They wouldn't do it. And so I'm working four, five, six months into my job with dad, and dad has a major heart attack. Winds up having open heart surgery, and uh, he couldn't work for... I don't remember, a couple, three months. I don't know, it was a long time when you have open-heart surgery. And that's mom and dad's only source of income. And so what wound up happening is I've been doing heat and air now for like three or four whole months, and we wound up having to continue and install heat and air units and all this kind of stuff. And Dave was, it was in the summer, so Dave would, he was out of school, so Dave would help some. And Dave and I were at these houses, and we're like, we have no idea what to do. And so we're drawing stuff on We'd tear off cardboard at the job site and draw a map, and we'd take it back to Dad. This is what we're going to do, and he'd look at it. And one time in particular, I remember Dad said, Dad said, I don't even care. Just do whatever you think's best, because he felt so bad. So Dave and I were out there, and we're installing stuff. I will say there was a lot less people telling me what to do, though, when Dad was uh, homesick. And we made it. Long story short, we got through it. Dad made it through his heart. In case I know the stress is killing you, Dad did not die. And so Dad comes back from his heart attack, and just a month or so after Dad got back and got well, are you, are you sitting down? My job, they call me back and ask me to come back, and I got a raise. So here's the story. See, in that moment, I was so distraught and so upset and so angry at what had happened in my job, but once it all came through, I stand here before you today, and, and I posit this. God was in that the whole time, and even though I didn't understand it, I didn't have any money, I did, it was a job I did not want to do, but I, because I was there, it's one of the things in my life, personally, that I'm the most proud of, that in that moment, I got to help my daddy. And then God put me back where I wanted to be in a better job with more money. And I'm telling you that what I learned through those stories is even when there's no way for me to see, my only responsibility 
is that I cling to that hope that I have in Christ. And I just cling to it. And, and you know what, Dwight? You know what's so good about this hope? Is it's a living hope. It's not, it's not made up. It's not in my mind. The world, the, the people say, oh, well, you need a crutch. And my response is, I, I don't need one crutch. I need two because my legs are broken. But he walks for me. You want to say it's a crutch? You're absolutely right. It's a crutch. It's a wheelchair. It's life support. It's oxygen. Whatever you want it to be, that's who Christ is in me. And so church, whatever you're going through, if the nightly news is stressing you out, if you're worried about what you're going to do at your job, if you're struggling with whether you should or you should not get the vaccine, if your kids are into something you wish they weren't into, here's the advice I have for you. You trust in that God that restored that relationship that Adam and Eve enjoyed, and he's now restored that in you. And you cling to God, and you don't turn him loose, no matter what it looks like, no matter how far away it feels like he's gotten, no matter if you cannot see a foot in front of your face. You just take one more step, and you just look to the heavens, and you say, I hope in you alone, and I trust in you alone. And no matter what happens, Job said it like this, and even if he slays me, even if that's what it means, even if for you, church, even if that that job doesn't turn out the way it did for me, even if that was not it, I can tell you other stories that it didn't work like I wanted it to work out, but I look back and I say, in all of it, I know God was working for me. So I want to encourage you today. If you're stressed out and you say, man, I don't know what to do. Well, I don't either, but he does. And we're just going to keep trusting him. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Just felt real burdened this week. I, I, I got to talk to several people that are just struggling with stuff. I mean, and it, some of it's bad stuff. I mean, sometimes, and, I, and I, I count it a privilege when I get to talk to you in trouble. That's not what I'm saying. Don't think it means that. But I tell Rusty, I said, boy, it really weighs on you when you, all these people you love, Dwight, are going through so many things. You know, weighs you down. And, you, you know, Chris knows. I mean, he, me and him always talking about, man, I feel so bad for sister so-and-so, brother so-and-so. Like, like, I'll just, I can't use, like, for Scott. I mean, Scott's dealing with stuff with his back, and in the middle of all of that, and he can't even walk, and he's bedridden, and then he gets a kidney stone. And, and I'm like, I don't know if that's exactly Job, but Scott's getting kind of close. And even in that, there's hope. So church, just, if you take anything, I hope you take a lot of this home with you, but, but especially I want you to take this. No matter what you're going through today, no matter what. And you might say, Pastor, you don't know. And you're right, I don't. And maybe you'd even say, Pastor, you don't understand. You're right, I don't. And you might even say, Pastor, you've never gone through something like this. You're probably right. But here's something that I know. And what I want you to leave here with, no matter how dark the night, you just keep holding on to God's hand. And he'll get you through it one way or another. You may go through it, you may go over it, you may go under it or around it, but I promise you that God will sustain you. And how I know that? Because Christ is alive today, sitting at God's right hand, and I hope in Him. And in that hope alone, I trust.